0: There's a difference between owning a jersey and being on the team. You can't have Jesus and we until you have Jesus and me.
1: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast.
0: Good morning, church. Thanks for uh, braving the rain to come on out. Uh, y'all are looking a little soggy this morning, but you made it, we did it, you're here, it's all good now. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. And let me just survey the room here. Uh, how many of you would consider yourselves to be extroverted? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're like, yeah, I'm a people person, the more the merrier, that's me. Okay, all right, we got some extroverts. Now, those of you who are on the other end of the spectrum, my introverts, if you're if you're an introvert, go ahead and take your hand and and put it in your pocket. (laughs) Uh... There you go, very good. Now, hey, listen, I love people. I love getting to hang out with you guys every week, I do, but I would definitely consider myself more on the introverted side of the scale. I love a party just as much as the next guy, but my favorite kind of party is a party of one. And some of you just said amen quietly in your head, you know, Um, and and like quarantine, like that was a really different experience for a lot of us. When we went into lockdown, some of you were like, this is cruel and unusual punishment. Where are all the people at? I'm dying in here. And, and, And other ones of you like, Like lockdown was like a vacation for us, wasn't it? Anybody else feel that? It was all right. We are all across the personality spectrum in the room right now, which is why I think this series has been a whole lot of fun. We've been going through this series, like Brad said, called Hold It Together, where we're talking about these tensions that we deal with in the life of faith, how as you follow Jesus, oftentimes God will tell you two things that are simultaneously true. And yet they appear to be contradictory to each other. And yet our call is not to pick one or the other of them, but to hold both of these truths in tandem, to ask God for wisdom, and then to try to just walk faithfully in the tension. And so in this series, we've talked about the tension between grace and truth and God's goodness and human suffering. We've talked about the tension between trusting and trying and Christ and culture. And today we're wrapping up this series by talking about the tension between me and we individuality and community, the tension between me and we. Now, some of you, when you just heard me say community, your gut reaction in your head was like, you know what? I'm good. Like I'm kind of relationally maxed out right now. I'm a little bit introverted. I've like, I've met my people quota for the month. I'm there. I I don't have a need for deeper relationships and conversations in my life. And if that's you this morning, then this sermon is for you. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you heard me and we, maybe you felt, you know what? Like, I love being around people, the more than merrier. I love getting to be here, come to church, see all my friends. I love being on Team Jesus, but you know what? Like, the one-on-one thing, the individual relationship to Jesus, I know that my personal commitment to him, it needs some work. And if you, that's you this morning, like, this sermon is for you too. And our guest today, to help us wade through this tension, is none other than the man who taught me how to be an introvert, my dad. And um, I... I I may or may not have invited him to come preach today so I wouldn't have to drive back to Missouri for Thanksgiving. We'll leave that unsaid. But, um, Dad, help us set the table here for a little bit. As we're talking about this tension between me and we,
1: what do we need to know from the get go? You bet. Well, first of all, let me just say good morning, church. I'm very glad to get to be with you. Um, often, I am introduced as the president of Ozark Christian College, and you are one of our supporting churches. So, I want to start actually by uh, bringing gratitude and greetings from Ozark in Joppa, Missouri. But today, I actually just get to be Luke's dad. And And so I am really excited about this message that we get to do here together. And as we talk about this idea of me and we, I want you to grab your Bibles. Would you grab them, open them up, crank them open to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just hold that for just a little bit. As you're doing that, let me tell you a story. Uh, This was several years ago. I have two nephews named Brian and uh, Ben. And uh, Ben was eight years old. Brian was six years old. They went with their mom one time to go visit one of her friends. And here's what you need to know. This particular lady that they were visiting was a very neat lady. Uh, She had a place for everything and everything in its place. She had conquered clutter and she had driven it from her home. Now that is because she had no kids. <laughs> uh, if you have children this morning, you know that like trying to clean your house while kids are still living there is like trying to you know, brush your teeth while eating Oreos. It doesn't work, all right? And, and so she had no kids, she had a clean house, but to her credit, she had some toys that she would keep for when kids would visit. So Ben and Brian, ages eight and six, walk in the door. She reaches up onto a shelf, pulls down a bucket of Legos, hands it to them and says, here you go, boys, you can play with these. What is the first thing those boys did with that bucket of Legos? Yes, like every red-blooded American boy, they turned that bucket upside down. They dumped all the Legos out onto the carpet, and immediately this lady goes into full obsessive-compulsive mode. All right, uh, she—I mean, she gets down on her knees. She's super uptight. She starts scooping up all the Legos, starts chucking them back into the bucket, and she says, "No, no, 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 boys! What I meant was you could play with them one at a time." You can't play with Legos one at a time, all right? Listen, the whole purpose of Legos is to be combined with other Legos. A solitary Lego can never fulfill its destiny. (laughs) Legos are made to be connected. Now, you don't have to read very far into your Bible to discover that human beings are created to be combined with other human beings. Uh, You remember, of course, Genesis chapter one, God is making the world, what's the refrain? What's he say over and over again as he makes something, you know, makes, makes stuff and it is good, something else, it is good, something else, it is good. And then God makes man and says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. A solitary human being can never fulfill his destiny. And so you remember what God does. God says, we need to make this man a wife. And so he puts Adam into a deep sleep and says, let's split the Adam. Do not laugh at that. That's a bad joke. And he <laughs> takes the reb from Eve's, or Adam's side and he makes Eve. And only then, only then can he say, it is very good. Because maybe, maybe we want to call this Lego theology. We are made to be connected. Now maybe that's because we are made in the image of God. You know this, God is a trinity. God is actually three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from time immemorial, from eternity past, God himself has lived in community. He has lived in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other, valuing each other, enjoying and knowing each other, and they are wonderfully and inseparably connected. And because we too are made in the image of God, we are made to be connected. But sometimes... We resist it. I don't know if you've noticed this over the last 20 years, but over the last 20 years, I have noticed that there have been a flood of books that have been published by Christian authors with titles like these. Listen to these actual book titles. They like Jesus, but not the church. Church, why bother? Life after church, quitting church, so you don't want to go to church anymore. Revolution, finding vibrant faith beyond the walls of the sanctuary. And you're picking up on a theme here. These are all written by Christ followers, Christians, that say, hey, we love Jesus, but we don't want the church. We don't need the church. We think it's too messy. We think it's outdated. We think it's unnecessary. And all I need is just Jesus and me. I'll worship outside in nature. I'll worship online, at home, in the comfort of my living room. And I don't need the mess of relationships. I don't need Jesus and we, just Jesus and me. And they think they think that they can fulfill their destiny as a solitary Lego. But that's not how Legos work. Harvard University a number of years ago did a study, a longitudinal study of 7,000 people over several years, study on relationships. Here's what they discovered. They found that people who were isolated, people who had very few meaningful relationships in their life, were three times more likely to die than people who had strong relationships, strong social ties. In fact, one psychologist reporting on this study actually wrote this. Listen to what he said. He said, People who had bad health habits like smoking or or poor eating habits or too much alcohol usage, people who had bad health habits but strong relationships lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but who were isolated. And then he said this, in other words, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. (laughs) And all God's people said... Amen, I can get down with that, all right? That's what I'm talking about. Now listen, we need each other physically and we need each other spiritually. The Christian life is a life that is lived together. When Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, how did that start again? Does it go, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, no. Our, yes, that's right. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. You see, the Christian life It's a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is not an individual relationship with Jesus. When you belong to Christ, you also belong to everyone else who belongs to Christ. The church is part of the package. You were made to be connected. So... We were made to be connected. We get
0: that totally, it, that it, it can't just be Jesus and me. It has to be Jesus and we. And yet, before you can get the Jesus and we, it actually does start with Jesus and me. It starts with a personal commitment to Jesus. Um, let's use the illustration here. Um, got any Colts fans in the room today? Raise your hand, Colts fans out there. Is that it? All right, okay, we got, we got a few. Any uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fans in the house this morning? <gasps> I'm sorry. We're going to convert you. We will get there. The baptistry's open, buddy. Um. Okay, any of you Colts fans, does anybody have Colts apparel in their closet at home right now? Any of you have any Colts clothes? Okay, very good, very good. Now, those of you who have a Colts jersey in your closet at home, do any of you actually play for the Indianapolis Colts? Anybody on the team here? No? Okay, if you are, uh, start tithing, but um, okay. uh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) we know there's a difference between owning a jersey and being on the team, right? And so think back to a few weeks ago, the season clearly hasn't gone the way we wanted it to go. A few weeks ago, when the season started to go downhill, you know, Matt Ryan had like 47 fumbles and the offensive line couldn't make a hole with a shovel and the coaches couldn't make a call in a phone booth and it's just all going downhill in a hurry. What did we start to do? We started to talk about the Colts, didn't we? And did you hear what we started to say? We started to say things like, Well, you know what we need to do. We just need to hand the ball off to number 28 more. We gotta get Pierce more involved in the passing game. We need a real quarterback. We just haven't been the same since Andrew Luck left us in the dust, right? It's funny how we talk about the Indianapolis Colts as if we were part of the team. We said we, even though we're not on the team. Tomorrow, they're not going to call my name to run the ball, thankfully, right? You and I are not in the upper quartile of the upper quartile. If you get it, you get it. And and the, the, the jersey that you own that's hanging in your closet, it is a nice, clean, shiny replica jersey. It doesn't have grass stains and mud spots on it. You and I are not gonna be in the locker room tomorrow to hear Jeff Saturday's victory speech, which is probably why you and I will never lift the Lombardi trophy. You know that there's a difference between owning a jersey and being on the team. So that being said, let's, let's bring that illustration home. There's a whole lot of people who own a Jesus jersey and they have it hanging in their closet and they may wear a Bible belt. <laughs> they're fans of Jesus and they come with the crowd every Sunday and they know how to cheer at the right times but they're not actually on the team. When God spoke to his people through the prophets in the Old Testament, he said these people, they're, they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They talk a good game. They've got the jersey, but they're not on the team. I read a survey recently that said that 63% of Americans, even today, 63% of Americans still self-identify as Christians, as followers of Jesus. They'd say, yeah, absolutely, I wear that jersey. But do you think 63% of Americans are actually on the team? that they're not just honoring God with their lips, but they're actually giving him their hearts, that they're diving into God's word and they're growing in prayer and they've committed to him and they're killing their sin and they're serving and they're using their gifts and they're blessing the sick and the lonely and the poor, and they're eliminating political and racial division. Do you think that we have 63% of our country not just wearing the jersey, but on the team? Man, if I think, don't you think if 63% of the country were actually doing that, the nation would look a lot different than it does? There's a difference between owning a jersey and being on the team. You can't have Jesus and we until you have Jesus and me. It reminds me of an interaction that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus was one of the power players of his day. He was among the cultural elite. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court and the Senate all rolled into one. Like if anybody had the jersey, Nicodemus had the jersey. He looked like he was on God's team. And yet he walks up to Jesus late at night and Jesus had some really strong words to Nicodemus. He said in John chapter three, verse three, he said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, he said, hey, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter that you grew up in a culture that believed in God. It doesn't matter that you were born into a family that believed in God. You may own the jersey, but you're not on the team. You can't be a part of the we until you get a new me. You must be born again. And maybe that's you today. I don't know what God wants to say to you today, but there's some of you who like coming here. You like being a part of church. You like hanging out with your friends. You like seeing this. You like feasting from the goodness of what happens here week in and week out, and yet you've never personally committed to say, yes, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. And maybe the Lord wants to say to you today that you must be born again, that you have to start with Jesus and me. You gotta get your heart personally transformed. You have to be personally committed, that it's not about what group you choose to self-identify with or what jersey is hanging in your closet. It is about who your heart is surrendered to. You must be born again. It has to start with Jesus and me. So if we're having this discussion about me and we, I guess the foundational truth that we wanna lay here is this, that your call as an individual is to become your best self in Christ. To become your best self in Christ.
1: Now I'm listening and I like that phrase, become your best self in Christ. Um, And I think I see where you're going with that, but I want you to help me, help all of us understand here because at first blush, you know, kind of become your best self could sound like the self-focus, you know, that our culture tries to sell us, you know, self-actualization, and become your best self could sound a little more like Oprah Winfrey than orthodoxy, and so help me understand, kind of what do you mean by become your best self in Christ? Yeah, you're right. You, you, you touched on the danger there, to become your best self.
0: We kind of want to redeem that phrase a little bit today, but there is a danger that to say become your best self can lead you down a path toward expressive individualism. I don't know if you're familiar with that term or not, but expressive individualism is the dominant societal narrative of our day. And this is gonna get a little heady and philosophical for a second, but hang with me, because I think it's important that as followers of Jesus, when you walk out those doors, you know the cultural waters that you're swimming in. So let's take that phrase and break it down. Expressive (laughs) individualism. Now that word individualism, my guess is you can kinda get at what that word means. Individualism is the belief that the fundamental unit of human reality is the individual, that you are the most important thing as an individual person, regardless of what your social ties are or what group you are a part of. Individualism prioritizes the me over the we. And now expressive individualism takes it a step further and says that you as an individual person, you are defined by the exercise of your will, meaning that you cannot be a full, complete, fulfilled person unless you are allowed to express all of your wants and desires in every way that you want to, expressive individualism. It's the flow of thought that runs behind a lot of the cultural catchphrases you hear, that if you're listening, you'll hear phrases like, you be you, speak your truth, follow your heart, look inside yourself, find yourself. Nobody else has the right to tell you who to become. That's expressive individualism. And it comes with its own whole value system. In expressive individualism, the highest good, the greatest virtue is tolerance. Tolerance of other people's self-expression. And in expressive individualism, the greatest evil, the worst vice and sin of all is intolerance of other people's self-expression, imposing your narrative onto someone else. Now, of course, it's not said in those terms, but if you're listening to songs and if you're watching commercials, that's what you'll hear. You can hear it in the music and the movies of little kids, right? Like if you've seen the Disney movie Frozen, you know about expressive individualism. If you're not familiar with the movie, uh, good for you. You're one of the lucky ones, but uh, it... In the movie Frozen, the story goes that there's this ice queen named Elsa and she decides that she's going to chart her own path. She's not going to conform to the desires of the people around her. She's going to throw off all of those oppressive expectations. She's going to look inside herself, find herself and do her own thing. Now, Millions and millions of eight year old girls all around the country have joined Elsa in singing the theme song of expressive individualism. Do you remember what Elsa sings as she's walking through the yeah. song?
1: You're on it, Jessica. You're on it.
0: But do you remember the words she says right before that? She says, No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Did you hear that? No right, no wrong. No rules for me, I'm free. And then she breaks out in song, let's all do it together, ready? Let it go, let it go. I'll, I'll be around all week, you can get the full edition later, it's pay-per-view, but you'll, you'll get there. Um, and yet... When put to a compelling soundtrack, that sounds freeing. Become your best self, let everything else go. That sounds heroic and courageous and brave, and yet we know that it's actually disastrously lonely. It's a Lego brick all by itself. Think about the movie Frozen. Where does that lead Elsa? Where does expressive individualism take her? It takes her to an ice castle, alone in the cold, trapped in a prison of her own making, isolated from all the people who care about her. No, 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 we're not just saying, let everything else go, become your best self. We're saying become your best self in Christ and there's a fundamental difference. One of the early Jesus followers named Paul, he was a leader in the early church, and he said that to become your best self in Christ is to actually allow Jesus to live in you and live through you to make you more like him. He said in Colossians chapter one that Christ in you is our hope of glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, he said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, before you get Jesus and we, you need Jesus in." me yes you were made to be connected to each other but you were also first made to be connected to him and when you are in him then you will become your best self not just an improved you but christ in you not just a better you but a brand new born again you and that's where it starts it starts with jesus and me it starts with you owning your faith and you surrendering to Jesus and laying your life down and allowing him to live in and through you, a personal commitment to him that then leads to personal involvement in community. The me leads to the we. So then, Dad, after we have that part, the Jesus and me, how does God use community
1: and the church to help us become our best self in Christ? Yeah, so it starts with the Jesus and me, but then it does move to the Jesus and we. God wants you to become your best self in Christ, but here's the key. You don't become your best self by yourself. Can I say that again? You don't become your best self in Christ by yourself. That only happens in community because, like, we're Legos. And, and can I show you um, like where this happens in Scripture? You got that text open? Uh, you remember that, 2 Timothy 4? You're still holding that? In 2 Timothy 4, let me, let me show you how this works. And backstory, real quick on this passage. Um, Paul, the apostle, is writing. He's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's writing 2 Timothy 4 to Timothy, who is a young preacher way over here in Ephesus, a thousand miles away. And our text is actually going to start in verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. What you're going to notice is it's just a long list of names. Uh, Paul often does this at the end of his letters. He's gonna say, uh, hey, Timothy, uh, I want you to come with me. And hey, when you come, uh, I want you to bring so-and-so. And, and oh, by the way, um, uh, give my greetings to so-and-so who's over there in Ephesus with you. And, and by the way, uh, these guys here, uh, they send their greetings. And oh, let me give you news about this guy over here and this guy. Why this long list of names? What, what's the big deal? Well, let me tell you why this is important. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I kind of picture Paul as this great solo missionary Paul is a single guy, you remember. And sometimes we picture Paul as this lone solitary figure who is heroically going all around, uh, you know, the Roman Empire by himself, and, uh, and he's kind of this lone ranger for the Lord. But not if you read this list. Because when you read down through this list of all these names, all of a sudden you realize, he does this like at, a, at the end of a lot of his letters, all of a sudden you realize, wow, Paul has like a lot of people that he leans on for wisdom and for encouragement and for partnership. And Paul didn't do life alone. Paul wasn't just about Jesus and me. Paul was about Jesus and me. He lived in community. So can I read this passage with you? You want to follow along here? Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 9. Here's what Paul writes. Do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, has gone to Galatia. Uh, Titus, he went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Oh, get Mark and, and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Oh, oh, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Jump down to verse nineteen now. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Vanessa for us. Erastus, he stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. So do your best to get here before winter. Uh, eubulus and 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 uh, uh, greet you and so do Pudens and linus and claudia and all the brothers and sisters the lord be with your spirit grace be with you all now again let me ask why all these names because somebody put it this way paul recognized the peril of the solitary life paul did not want to end up as a solitary lego piece he knew that he needed Community, And so he says to Timothy, a thousand miles away, hey, come anyways, make the trip, travel. I need that in-person, face-to-face fellowship. I, I can't just do Jesus and me. I need Jesus and we, because Paul knew this, that he could not become his best self in Christ by himself. He needed the other people. So can I spend the rest of my minutes doing this? Can I show you in our text two ways that that happened for Paul and two ways it can happen for you? Here's the first one. Uh, When you stay connected, you will become a more humble person. That's your best self in Christ. When Paul stayed connected, he became a more humble person. Now, Paul was just an immensely talented person. Paul had a world-class intellect. He had just like boundless physical energy. Paul was an outstanding communicator. I mean, Paul was just like this amazing uh, 5'10 talent guy. And he could have just tried to do ministry on his own. I can do it. I'll take care of it. I got this. But, of course, if you try to be the lone hero that 's actually pride i mean subtly, but that 's that 's pride at work and Paul could have been tempted to be that guy that guy to just kind of do this on his own in in that subtle pride. but in second Corinthians chapter twelve Um, Paul tells us that God sent something into Paul's life called a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. Scholars think it was probably a physical handicap of some kind, maybe poor eyesight. There are some clues. But whatever it was, this, this like physical handicap, this thorn in the flesh for Paul, what it meant was he couldn't do it on his own. Paul had to lean on other people. Now, catch this. He had to practice the humility of asking other people for help. Anybody here ever struggle with that? I'm just telling you that that that's a hard thing for some of us. But that's what Paul does here in our text. He says, hey, get Mark, bring him with me because he's helpful to me in my ministry. And hey, Timothy, I need your help too. Come, bring my cloak, bring my scrolls, bring my parchments. And oh, by the way, remember Priscilla and Aquila? Like if you've read Acts and Romans, you know they've been his helpers for a lot of years. And oh, I've got Luke here with me and Luke's like his 24-7 personal assistant helper. And at some point or another, Paul has asked every single name on this list for help of some kind. Paul knows I can't do it on my own and he stays connected because it keeps him humble. True confession, I'm still learning this. Can I tell you a little bit about myself? Uh, I am by nature a lone ranger. Now, maybe, maybe that's because I'm an introvert. Uh, maybe it's because I'm just dumb sometimes and I like, you know, don't think of asking other people for help. But sometimes it is pride. It's pride. Twenty-three years old, when I first graduated from Bible college, took my first full-time ministry, I became the preacher of a little church down in southern Illinois, Carbondale, Illinois. And uh, 80 or 100 of some of God's just best saints at this little bitty church, and I started to be the preacher. And I'll never forget my first day at this church. Um, You know, I'm I'm there in my office, and I'm unpacking my boxes, I'm putting all my books up on the shelf in my brand new office, when into my office strides John Lamb. Now, John Lamb was a deacon in the church. He had been the chairman of the search committee that had hired me, so he's coming to check on his new preacher on, on his first day at work. And here's what you need to know. John Lamb is a man's man. John Lamb was this big guy. He played college ball. John Lamb had a flat top haircut. Uh, he had a belt buckle. He had uh, cowboy boots. He drove a pickup truck, gun rack race, hunting dogs, man's man, all right? And, uh, and so John Lamb strides into my office, and he says, uh, he says hey, he says I'm glad you're here. And you know, he reached out his big old hand. He's like, hey, if you, if you need anything, you call me. He says, because you and me now, we're blood brothers. Ooh. You know, I'm 23, I'm done, you know, and I'm, I'm down deep Southern Illinois. And I'm like, man, you're not gonna, you know, like make us cut our fingers and do that whole thing, you know, are we? And, and he didn't do that, but he just said, anything you need, you know, you call me because cause I got you, man, we're blood brothers now. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. If I need anything, I'll call you. And I had absolutely no intention of calling him, all right? Because I was 23 years old. I'm young, I'm full of energy and vigor. And I got faith in Jesus Christ, I'm on fire and I got a brand new Bible college degree. I got to start using this thing. And so I was just gonna kind of try to tackle this all on my own and in a small church you can kind of do that for a while. You can do it all yourself and so I tried to and I I mowed the grass and I fixed communion and I wrote the sermons. I went and visited all the sick people in the hospital and I got there early on Sunday mornings and I'd flip on the lights in the heat and I was just trying to do it all on my own. Uh, Eight months in maybe, it's a Saturday, and on that Saturday, um, I took a group of men from our church to a men's conference. Of course, I drove the church van, you know, doing it all. And, uh, and, and we, it was a great day at the conference. Uh, pulled back into the church parking lot, probably about 11 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, this Saturday night. And, and so uh, all the guys, you know, they're getting into their cars there in the parking lot. I'm like, hey, we'll see you tomorrow, see you tomorrow, see you tomorrow. And, uh, and they all drive out of the parking lot. I did not get in my car and drive out of the parking lot because here's my confession. I did not have my sermon done for the next morning. All right. You know, too busy trying to do all this stuff. And uh, 11 o'clock at Saturday night, I still got to write my sermon. So I walked back into the church building. But before I go into the office to work on the sermon, I actually went into the sanctuary and I turned the faucet on in the baptistry. Now, our baptistry had a slow leak, so we would not keep it filled up on the regular. But, but whenever I knew we had a baptism coming up, I'd, I'd go and fill it up. Knew we had one the next morning. Great. I'm going to turn the water on, start the baptistry filling while I'm in my office trying to write the sermon. So I go back into my office and, you know, I'm I got to write this sermon and and God looks out for fools and little children. I'm a fool. So God, you know, was kind and he helped me and I oh, okay. And all of a sudden the sermon starts uh, coming together and, and, hey, maybe this is going to work and I kind of get in this groove and I lose track of everything else and like about three hours later, all right, you know, the sermon is flowing and the sermon's not the only thing flowing. Are you following me here? (laughs) All right. I I finished the sermon and I hit print on that sermon. And just as I'm pulling the sermon out of the printer, all of a sudden I remember, oh no, the baptistry. Well, I get up uh, and and I step out of my office. Now there's a linoleum hallway between my office and the sanctuary. I step into that linoleum hallway. Splash! Ooh, this is not good. There's standing water in the linoleum hallway. I run down the hallway. Splash! 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 To the little door that goes into the sanctuary. I step into the sanctuary. I had overflowed that. But I had flooded the whole sanctuary. Standing water. Okay. Now, it's, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, okay? And, and, I mean, we had a service that starts at 8.30. People are going to start getting here by 7.30. Even if I go home right now, get my wet vac, wet vac all night long. There is no way I'm going to get all this cleaned up. What am I going to do? And I'm trying to think, what am I going to say when people walk in the door? I'm trying to think of, like, clever lines, you know. Today, I am preaching on Noah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Some of you have been reluctant to come down the aisle for Baptism. I'm going to bring baptism down the aisle towards you, you know, <laughs> and mostly I'm just going, why can't we sprinkle, you know, and uh, <laughs> I got nothing, man, and, and so I went back into my office, I did the only thing I could think of to do, two o'clock in the morning, I dialed John Lamb's number. John Lamb, 2 o'clock in the morning, answers the phone. I said, hey, blood brother. <laughs> 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 and John Lamb lived 21 minutes south of the church, 22 minutes after I called him. He comes rolling into the parking lot in his pickup truck, got his wet vac in the back. Bunch of other deacons come rolling into the parking lot. I called a bunch of them. They got their wet vacs. And they came in. They were just great. They were awesome. They just started getting to work. And, you know, like they didn't make fun of me very much. And... <laughs>
0: And we all just
1: start working, 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 working. And, you know, I don't know, three hours later, I don't know, we got it as good as we're gonna get it. And, and so we just set fans on the wet carpet, try to dry it out, and everybody's gonna go home, try to get a couple hours of sleep before church. And I'm, I'm waving goodbye to them all, you know, again. I'm like, hey, thank you, sorry, thank you, sorry, thank you, thank you, sorry. And, uh, and as they all leave, uh, eventually it's just John Lamb and me. We're the last two left. And, and John Lamb uh, comes over to me and uh, puts his arm around me. He says, Hey! He says, I'm I'm glad you called me. He said, you need to call me more often. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said this. He said, you need to let me do what I can do so that you can do what you can do. As a dumb 20-year-old preacher, I needed to hear that. (laughs) A lone ranger is a dead ranger. And I had to start learning pretty quick. If I was gonna stay alive in ministry very long... I was going to have to kill my pride and reach out and just ask for help. And that's That's why we need community. Maybe that's where some of you are here today. Maybe you're trying to do life, do this Christian life thing on your own and maybe you've been a little too proud to ask for help and no, that's why God made the church. He wants you to stay connected so you will practice the humility of asking other people for help. You can't become your best self in Christ by yourself. When you do Jesus and we, you become a more humble person, stay connected. He's pretty good, isn't he? <laughs>
0: <Yeah.
1: clears throat>
0: Don't clap that much. I taught him everything he knows. so
1: uh. Stay humble. <laughs> so... <go ahead>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. God uses people. Paul learned to be humble by asking for help. God uses people to help us become our best self in Christ.
1: But you told us there's two ways He does it. That's the first one. What's the second one? So, when you stay connected in community, you become a more gracious person. That's the second way. Um, yeah, you become more humble, but you also learn grace. You become a more gracious person, because that's totally what happened to Paul. <sighs> Real world relationships are hard. Can I get an amen on that one? All right now, if you're married, you totally know this. I mean, when when you first get married, um, you discover all these differences about each other, and at first they're they're kind of endearing, you know, because love is blind. But marriage is an eye opener, and so pretty soon you find those differences to be kind of annoying and even frustrating. And you know the ones I'm talking about, right? Uh, you know, one of you squeezes the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, and one of you squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. Uh, one of you put puts puts the toilet paper on with the paper going under and one of you puts the toilet paper on with the paper going over because you were raised, right? And you love Jesus and... and (laughs) <laughs> I'm right. And, and some of you go to bed early and some of you go to bed late and some of you are organized and some of you are always losing things and some of you have 20,000 words a day to speak and some of you have 5,000 words a day to speak and, and we got all these personality differences but it's not just that. Sometimes it's our brokenness because we do things like we, we will say a harsh word or we'll take a thoughtless action or we'll just be unkind or sometimes we're actually just mean to each other and real world relationships are hard. And in the digital world, when that happens, sometimes what we do is we just kind of delete those difficult people from our life. You don't like something that somebody said on Facebook? Boom, unfriend them. You think somebody's stupid on Twitter? Boom, block them. And when that happens in the like, analog world, in the real world out here, sometimes we are tempted to do the same thing, just delete them. I heard about a girl who was breaking up with her boyfriend, and she said, I will always cherish the initial misconception I had about you. (laughs) And that's kind of how we are sometimes. You disappoint me, I delete you. No grace, no forgiveness, no second chance. And that was even the Apostle Paul. Did you catch that name in our text, Mark? Can I tell you the story? All the way back in Acts chapter 13, that's 15 years before, Paul and Barnabas getting ready to go on their first missionary journey let's take Mark along sure young Mark and so they start on their first missionary journey halfway through the journey Mark bails I don't know if he's homesick if he's afraid I don't know what's going on but for whatever reason he just abandons them he he deserts them and and so when second missionary journey planning meetings start to happen Paul and Barnabas talking Barnabas says hey let's take Mark along let's give him a second chance Paul says no way That guy abandoned me, he bailed on me, he deserted me and I am not going to trust him again. Uh -uh. And Barnabas and Paul end up having such a sharp disagreement that that they end up splitting ways and Paul just wanted to delete Mark from his life. I get it. When I was a junior in Bible college, um, as a junior I had these two freshman guys who moved into the room right next to me on our dorm floor. And their names were Rusty and Steve, and I was I was convinced that Rusty and Steve were not going to heaven. I'm just being honest, I'm telling you what I, I you know they, they, they were loud, they were rowdy, they were immature. Sometimes they were off color. They they would go to R-rated movies, and they would listen to these like '80s bands with names like Rat and Poison, and you know and and uh, they were Los Angeles Lakers fans, so just clearly pagans, and 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 I'm telling you what they were my thorn in the flesh. And so, you know, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take them away, but he would not. And and so I was just stuck with them. And I remember one particular night, I'm in my room, right? And I'm studying and uh, trying to get ready for a test or something like that. And, and they're in the room next door and they're just playing their music so loud. I mean, in fact, they're just cranking it up louder and louder and louder. And they're just goofing off and carrying on and doing all kinds of stupid stuff. They're just being idiots over there. And I'm just sitting there in my room and I'm just getting madder and madder and madder at them. And you need to know this, that I, I have this little self-righteous Pharisee that lives in my soul and so as I was sitting there I thought to myself they, they just need a prophet of God to speak truth into their life <laughs> so I got up and I walked over to that room next door and I banged on the door and they opened the door. And Somebody said that when you're mad, you'll give the best speech you'll ever regret. And, uh, and, and oh man, I gave them a good speech. I mean, boom, I unloaded on, you know, righteous indignation everywhere. And and, you know, and they slammed the door in my face and I walked back over and I sat down at my desk and slowly, you know, I kind of start to calm down and slowly my blood pressure gets back into the, into the normal range. And that's, that's when the Holy Spirit whispers to me, And and he says, uh, you know, there's a difference between being a prophet and being a jerk. (laughs) And expressive individualism says, listen to your heart, just express yourself. But biblical Christianity says, listen to the Holy Spirit. And I heard him loud and clear that night, and I realized... That I had been a jerk. I had been judgmental and resentful and critical, and and quick to anger, and I had to go back next door and bang on their door again and just apologize to those guys. And I got to tell you today, I'm still I'm still a recovering Pharisee. But can I can I tell you how God used those guys in my life during all those months that we were just stuck together, just living together next door to each other in the dorm? God used those guys. To start slowly peeling that judgmentalism out of my spirit and slowly to begin to teach me to be gracious and to forgive and to give second chances. He told me, he taught me that I was totally wrong about those guys. Those guys now, Rusty and Steve, they're, they're amazing Christian leaders. They're doing great kingdom work. In fact, here's the cool part. I can tell you that today, 35 years later, we're still friends, all three of us. And what I'm telling you is this. I had a mentor one time who said this. Godly leaders have no disposable relationships. And the reason that you need to be in community is because it just sticks you next to difficult people. You need difficult people in your life. God does that on purpose because here's what God does. When God needs to grow like a character trait in you, um, he will often bring somebody into your life who will tempt you to act in the opposite way. So if you need to learn how to love, God will send an unlovable person into your life. You need to learn how to have hope, God will send a discourager into your life. You need to learn patience, God will send a very slow person into your life, all right? And, and you, you know, it's, like, it's like lifting weights, all right? you know Resistance creates strength. And God will use those difficult people to build that strength into your character. And he will use them to refine you in like holy sandpaper, use them to knock off the rough edges of your life. And when you, when you need to go in grace, God will send those difficult people into your life. That's what he did with Paul. That was Mark. Because 15 years before, Acts 13, Paul's like, nope, I'm washing my hands of that guy. I want nothing more to do with Mark. And yet somehow God must have kept Mark in Paul's life because here we are, 2 Timothy 4, 15 years later and somewhere Paul got it. Because Paul says, hey, bring Mark with you. He's helpful to me in my ministry. And when you read it, you kind of want to cheer and go, yay, look, he he got it. Paul learned to forgive. Good job, Paul. And he used community to teach Paul to be a more gracious person. And what I'm saying is, that's why you need the church. Yeah, we're not all perfect people. Yeah, we're super messed up. The church is full of broken people and you will get disappointed. And when people disappoint disappoint you, you will be tempted. You will be tempted to just delete them out of your life. Don't do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, real community, real relationships begin with disappointment. Did you catch that? You see, it's only when people disappoint you. When you find out who they really are and you choose to love them anyway, that's when real love begins. You can't love people in fantasy. You can only love them in reality. You can't love people for who you wish they were, your initial misconception of them. You can only love people for who you actually are. Real community, real relationship, real love only happens. It begins with disappointment. And it only happens in imperfect community. And one of the reasons that we need to stay connected is we just, we just get stuck with difficult people. You cannot become your best self by yourself. It is not just Jesus and me. It is Jesus and we stay connected. Now, as we're wrapping up, um, Luke, I I know you've got an opportunity that's coming up here for people to get connected in a whole new way. And it's a a program that I've seen at a lot of other churches been super, super helpful. So tell them what you got coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Bottom line is God wants to shape you. He's constantly in the process of making us like his son. He wants to make you a more gracious person, a more humble person, but you can't become your best self in Christ by yourself. So part of the reason is that's why we have the prayer team that meets at the gathers around the edges of the room at the end of every worship service. They're gonna hang around for a while after the service every single week with their green lanyards on because we want to connect with you to help you become your best self in Christ. Like, man, if the Lord ever pricks your spirit and you're just like, man, I... I need to take this step and be humble enough to ask for help. We are here for you. We're ready for you. We'd love to pray for you, whatever is going on in your world. And maybe for you, it's, I need to get Jesus and me right. Like, I'm, I'm, it's time that I commit to him. Like, the baptistry is ready for you. We are ready for you today. We got clothes back there. We're gonna get to see a baptism in a minute. We didn't let him touch the baptistry. It's not even flooded. We're good to go. But for some of you maybe there's a bigger and even more substantial step you need to take that you've been with Jesus for a while, but you need to keep growing. And so our, our step for you, whether you're over on this end of the spectrum and you're feeling like a solitary Lego, you don't even know who your 1 a.m. friend would be that you would call. You, you're you you're wanting to get connected to some other people, but you just don't know how to do it. Or maybe you're over here thinking, I got good relationships and, and, and that's great, but I gotta get Jesus and me figured out. I need to I need to figure out what it looks like to follow him in my everyday life. If that's you, we have one next next step for you to take wherever you are on that spectrum we want you to join rooted we are kicking off a program called rooted in january and rooted is a 10 week small group experience that is designed to connect you rooted is designed to help you connect to god it's designed to help you connect to other people and it's designed to help you connect to your purpose and the mission that god has for you in your life now Um, every group that is a part of Plainfield Christian Church is going to be going through Rooted beginning in January. If you are in a Sunday morning group, you do not need to sign up. Just go to your Sunday morning group. You guys are gonna go through this in January. If you're in a midweek home group, you do not need to sign up. Just go to your normal home group meeting time. You guys are gonna go through this with us in January. But if you are not in a group, we're also kicking off some brand new Rooted groups that are for people who are just wanting to get connected for the first time and it's a 10-week commitment. Like we talk about groups and community up here all the time. You gotta be in a group, you gotta be in a group, you gotta be in a group. But maybe if you hear us say that week in and week out, you're thinking, you know what, that's great for other people, but not for me. I don't know how that's gonna fit in my schedule. I'm Like, I'm good, it feels weird. I don't know who's gonna be in the group. It feels like this kind of undefined long commitment. Is this like a till death do us part thing? How does it work, you know? What I love about Rooted is it's a defined commitment. We are asking you to give us 10 weeks beginning in January, where you show up here at the building on Sunday afternoons. If you're in one of those brand new Rooted groups, you show up on Sunday afternoons. We've got childcare available. We're taking away every possible excuse and we want you to come here and you're gonna get connected with other people who are just starting to get connected. We're gonna have fun experiences together. It's gonna take care of the Jesus and we piece, but we also care about you and Jesus, the Jesus and me piece. And so Rooted has some daily activities that you'll be doing with you and your personal relationship with Jesus. If you've ever had questions, like, man, uh, I, I try to pray. It's just hard. I don't know how to do it. What does it even look like to dive into God's word? How do I discover what my gifts are and how to serve? How do I tell my story? Rooted is going to help take care of some of those pieces also. So if you are not already in a group, we want you to hop into Rooted. If you've been feeling like, man, I'm curious about this Jesus thing, but not sure if I want to commit or not, we want you to hop into Rooted. If you're like, man, I want to get plugged in serving, but I don't know how, we want you to hop into Rooted. We're going to kick start uh, start signups on December the 1st. That's This week stay tuned online and on social media for more info or you can go to the information center out in the hub we're going to be talking about this every week until January 8th when it starts but we want you to join a rooted group this is a pathway we are on a journey together to get connected and we'd love to have you come with us I believe with all my heart that God is doing something special here at this place and I love getting to be connected here as a as a part of this church family, if I ever got the chance to write a letter somewhere, you guys would be the names that I'd write at the end of my letter. And so as I wrap up my little portion here, um, I love that text we just read. Paul speaks a blessing over these people that he loves. And I'm gonna speak that blessing over you that Paul spoke to them. The Lord
1: be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. As we get ready to lead into a time of communion, we've been reminded this morning that God lives as a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in perfect relationship, connected. And of course, we as humanity began in perfect relationship with God, connected to Him, but then we as humanity sinned and we were suddenly disconnected. We were isolated, separated, a great chasm was fixed between us and God. But the good news of the gospel is this God loved us so much that He sent Jesus Christ across that chasm to come to earth to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins and there on the cross covered in your sins and in my sins Jesus experienced the wrath of God and so for the very first time in history somehow suddenly God Jesus was disconnected from God that's why he cried out on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me and the irony of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ had to become disconnected so that we could be reconnected. So today, as we, as we take that little piece of bread and we remember Christ's body broken on the cross for us, as we drink that cup and remember Christ's blood shed on the cross for us, can we also remember Christ's spirit separated for us? so that we could be reunited with God. Jesus died for me so that we could be together forever with him. Right now, we're just gonna give you a few moments to take that bread on your own. You pray, you meditate, you take that bread on your own. And after those few moments, then I'll lead us all together in taking the cup. This cup represents the blood of Christ. Shed on the cross for us. We drink in remembrance of him. Would you right now stand together? Let's worship.